two weeks ago, I started sharing on a subject that the Lord began to drop in our hearts during staff meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago. We were trying to define, just define our vision for Victory Center. And uh, I'd been trying to find out what God wanted for the vision of the church for a long time. And I was satisfied with the embrace, equip, and empower we have over the door there, which is, is our mission statement. So I was satisfied with that, but, but the staff wasn't. And they said, no, we need to know what we're supposed to be doing. So uh, in the midst of that staff meeting, God began to speak to us. And uh, what came out was that our vision for Victory Center is to build God's kingdom. And I believe that that resonates with everyone because Jesus himself, he let us know when he was on this earth that this was the, the biggest desire of his heart is to build God's kingdom here on this earth. In fact, in Matthew 6, 10, he, when he was telling the disciples how to pray, he said, you need to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, to understand the importance of that particular part of that prayer, we have to go back to the very beginning. And in the very beginning, when God created man and put him here on this earth, what he was doing was franchising the kingdom of heaven down here on earth. Now, you know what franchising means. I hope you do, because, you know, uh, that means that uh, here is a business that it does really well in this particular town, and so they build a franchise, and they go to another town, and then they build another one, and then they go to another, until they just are all over the place, like McDonald's, for instance. You can go across seas, and, and they have a McDonald's. It's a franchise. And so God had in his heart to franchise the kingdom of heaven and deposit it here on this earth. And it worked for a period of time. We don't know how long, but we know in the Garden of Eden, it was, it was just a, a replica of what was in heaven. And he gave Adam and Eve this charge. And he said, now I want you to take dominion, and I want you to go and multiply and replenish the earth. So we don't know what was going on outside of Eden. I don't think that there, it was as heavenly as Eden was. But God's plan was to establish his kingdom all over this earth, and he did it the exact way he always does in his kingdom. He, Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a seed or he said it was like leavening. So uh, I, the, I just jotted down what was alike in both of these, the seed and the leavening. Now you know how seed works. First the blade, then the ear, and then the corn in the ear. Little by little. You farmers, you know how it works. It does this every year. Plant the seed, it begins to develop. Pretty soon there's a harvest, but there's a process of time as it develops. 
Then uh, a leavening. We women know about leavening. You know, you can, you can put some, some flour and, and water and a, a little bit of shortening and maybe an egg and then put some leavening in it and turn around, cover it up, and within a, maybe an hour, you have a big fat glob of dough. It has grown while you were doing other things. It was growing and expanding and expanding. And that's the way Jesus describes the kingdom of God, that it just kind of displaces and it begins to expand and spread. And so that's the way it should have been. But we know that Satan came into the garden, he deceived Adam and Eve, and he disenfranchised the kingdom of heaven and began to establish his own kingdom here. And as a result, the curse began to uh, spread throughout the whole earth. It was more like a contagious disease than leavening. It spread fast. And as a result, we had sin, sickness, poverty, stealing, killing, and destroying, demonic oppression, obsession, and possession. Was just some of the descriptions. And that's what we see out in the world today. And that's the demonic kingdom. Now, in God's heart was to displace the devil's kingdom and bring the kingdom of God. And so he, uh, he said, um, let me just read some scriptures here. 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason that Jesus came to this earth. So let's just read it. But he who commits sin, who practices evil doing, is of the devil, takes his character from the evil one. For the devil has sinned and violated the divine law from the beginning. The reason the Son of Man was manifested, visible, was to undo, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works the devil has done. That's the reason Jesus came. He knew that he was coming down in the midst of Satan's evil kingdom, but he came for a reason to destroy everything the devil was trying to do. And in Luke 10, 38, it says how God anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with strength and ability and power. That's uh, Acts 10, 38. How he went about doing good and in particular curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil for God was with him. So Jesus came and he brought healing and he cast out devils. And in, um, I'm just kind of running through this real quick, quick because we covered this on Sunday when I was ministering about this. But uh, he begins to... Uh, begins to send out then disciples to do the same thing he was doing. So in Luke 9, 1 and 2, says that Jesus called together the 12. So this is the 12 apostles and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. 
and he sent them out to announce and preach the kingdom of God and to bring healing. So he was, what he was doing was he was starting the process of what God had told Adam and Eve to do. To go out and establish the kingdom of God all over the planet. So Jesus was beginning the process of uh, sending out 12 disciples to begin to do the same thing that he was doing, destroying the works of the devil. Then in uh, Luke 9, uh, let's see, Luke 10, excuse me, he commissioned 70 more people. So now after this, the Lord chose and appointed 70 others and sent them out ahead of him two by two into every town and place where himself was about to visit. And he said to them, the harvest indeed is abundant. There is much ripe grain, but the farm hands are few. Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. And so that's what Jesus was doing. Go your way. Behold, I send you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Yes, because the kingdom of the enemy was all around. It says carry no purse, no provisions, no change of sandals. Uh, just, just keep going quickly. Go ahead to the next one. He talks about going into houses. And if there, uh, if there is peace in the household, which is freedom from the distresses that result from sin to be with this family, then you speak peace to it. Go on to the next one, seven. Go on to seven. Go on to eight, because this is just instructions to them. When you go into a town and they receive you and accept and welcome you, eat what is set before you. Go ahead, nine. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come close to you. So, what he was doing, he sent out 12, and now he's sending out 70, and it's multiplying, it's spreading the kingdom of God. Then in 17, verse 17 of that same chapter, verse 17 of chapter 10, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said unto them, I saw Satan fall like a lightning flash from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority and power to trample upon serpents and scorpions and physical and mental strength and ability over all the power that the enemy possesses and nothing shall by any means harm you. So he was establishing the kingdom of God right in the middle of the devil's territory. And we get a glimpse into what that looks like for the kingdom of God to be established. We see the, the sick are healed. We see the demon possessed are delivered. We see that anything that the devil has done to anybody, the believers have authority to establish God's kingdom right there in the midst of what Satan does. We have authority over his, we have mental and spiritual authority over him. Everything he has to do. Everything. So, so that was Jesus' demonstration of what the kingdom of God was all about. And um, 
let me just read uh, Matthew. I just want to read enough scriptures that you can get a picture of what it looks like for the kingdom of God to be established. Matthew 12, 28 says, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This would, should be normal for those that are establishing the kingdom of God because the devil would try to hold territory, but he has no power over the believer that has authority over him. And so Jesus says in Matthew 12, 14, I know I'm giving you a lot of scriptures. I'm just running through it quickly because I want to get to the point I really want to get to. In the Passion Translation, it says, Yet though it all, yet through it all, this joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed over all the world, providing every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God. And then after this, the end of this age will arrive. So we have a commission that needs to be carried out before the end of the age will come. Let me tell you, if Jesus said that the gospel of this kingdom, the demonstration of the reality of God's kingdom will be demonstrated throughout the whole world before the end comes, I'm going to tell you, it will be demonstrated to the ends of the world before the end will come. So if you're waiting for the rapture, you need to get busy. We need to get busy and get this demonstration of the reality of God demonstrated throughout the whole world, throughout our world. What we're responsible for. Because I personally, I'm, I'm ready for the rapture. But God's not ready for the rapture till this gospel of the kingdom, and we just described it, it's not just preaching, preaching uh, Jesus crucified, risen again, and our sins are forgiven. It's the demonstration of the reality, which is heal the sick, even raise the dead, cast out demons. Whatever displaces the darkness that's in this world, that's what is expected out of us. So... Um, then we get to when Jesus leaves the earth. Now he's sent out 70. He sent out, he's sent out 12. Then he sent out 70. And he himself had gone throughout territory and established the kingdom of God. But was that enough? Was that enough to take it to the ends of the world? Well, I don't think so. Because he told the disciples in Acts, I mean, actually, I, in, before he went away, he said, listen, I want you to go and spread this gospel everywhere. Mark 16, he says, spread the gospel. Uh, I think I'll just read that. Mark, did I give you Mark 16? Not that one. Uh, do you have back to 17 by any chance? Let me just look it up. I probably didn't give her the whole thing, but Mark 16. This was a commission that he gave his disciples. And he said unto them, this is verse 15, Go into all the world and preach and publish openly the good news, the gospel, to every creature of the whole human race. 
He who believes that is adheres to, trusts in, relies on the gospel, and he who is set when it is set forth and is baptized will be saved from the penalty of eternal death. But he who does not believe, who does not adhere to, trust in, and rely on the gospel, and him whom it set forth will be condemned. Then verse 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Now you can put up verse 18. They will pick up servants, serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. So Jesus told them to do that. But then in Acts, the first chapter, when he got, to, got ready to go and he's just getting ready to be caught up to heaven, and he says, listen, I know it. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this. He says, I know I told you to go and spread the gospel, and I know I told you to, to um, you know, cast out devils and do all this. I know I told you that. But he says in verse um, 4, Acts 1, 4, he said, but he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, of which he said, you have heard me speak, for John baptized with water, but not many days from now you shall be baptized with, placed in, introduced into the Holy Spirit. And then, uh, so he's saying, don't leave town without the Holy Spirit. He said, I know you got a big job to do. Now, while I'm here, you have my authority to do it. But now I'm getting ready to go away. So uh, you go to Jerusalem. You wait and do not depart. Don't go try to cast out any demons. Don't go try to heal the sick. Don't try to displace Satan's kingdom yet. Wait, because I have something for you that will help you. And so in Acts 1, 8, he said, but you will receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends and the very bounds of the earth. So he said, all right, you're going to get ready to be my witnesses. But don't do anything till you get this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because, and we have read, and we have talked about, the different things that the Holy Spirit will do. Jesus said the Holy Spirit uh, is our, uh, he's our comforter, he's our strengthener, he's our standby, he's our intercessor, he's our counselor, he's our helper, He's our advocate. And see, Jesus knew that we needed something started on the inside of us first. And you know, in uh, Luke 17, 21, they asked him, When's the, you know, when, when are you going to establish a kingdom? They were actually thinking about an earthly kingdom. And uh, can you put that up there, Luke 17, 21? It's not on there? Oh, sorry. Well, I'll read it to you. Nor will people, Jesus said, no, nor will people say, look, here it is, or see, it is here. 
For behold, the kingdom of God is within you, in your hearts, and among you, surrounding you. So the kingdom rule, and what does it mean for the kingdom to rule? It's God's will here on earth, even as it is in heaven. So it has to start in our hearts. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, the first thing he does is start working in our hearts. And we, we looked at some of his functions, and some of his functions is this. He leads us into truth. He shows us things to come. He brings things to our remembrance. He teaches us in all things. He takes what Jesus has and transmits it unto, and transmits it unto us, and he makes us a witness. So it starts on the inside of us, and uh, once we begin to get the will of God established on the inside of us, then we're ready. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. Listen, you got to be ready. Because what you're doing is you're going into enemy territory. And you're going to go into gross darkness. And you're going to come and you're going to establish the light. So you're going to need some help. You're going to need some supernatural help. That's why Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you get that help. Because I'm going to tell you, what you're coming up against is not good. He does not like you. He does not want the kingdom of God established. And he will fight tooth and toenail to keep you from doing what you've been commissioned to do. But with Holy Ghost power, with the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, he is no match for you. You're superwoman, superman, going into enemy territory. He doesn't have a chance. And so this is why Jesus said, wait until you get empowered by the Holy Spirit. So then you, he starts that work in you, and then the good part is this. He manifests himself through you to other people. And that's really the end game. That's what God's after. He's after what we call the manifestations of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. And you know, I haven't taught on the gifts of the Spirit. Pastor used to teach on them every once in a while. But I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. And I want to read this out of the King James because um, the Amplified gets very wordy in case you hadn't noticed. Um, that's why they call it Amplified. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Uh, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Now, this is a few years down the line after Jesus went back. I don't know exactly how many, but churches are starting to be established. God's kingdom is starting to be established on this earth. And uh, so, so Paul writes to the Corinthians it's an interesting book because the very first chapter of this book, he talks to the Corinthians and he said, um, he says, you, you uh, the way he said it is kind of awkward. He said, you come behind in no gift. 
I would say it this way. You have all the gifts working in your midst. And so, you know, you think, whoo-hoo, well, this is, this is a great church. And then in chapter 3, he kind of uh, busts our bubble in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 3 verses, probably verse 3. Did I give you that one? 1 Corinthians 3, 3. I didn't? Sorry. Okay, well, let me read you that. He says, however, starting in verse 1, however, brethren, I could not talk to you as spiritual men, but as non-spiritual men of the flesh in whom the carnal nature predominates, as to mere infants in the new life in Christ unable to talk yet. I mean, he's kind of starting to give them a little slap in the face now, or a spanking, I would say, probably. Um, you know, we all need spiritual spankings once in a while. He said, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet strong enough to be ready for it. But even yet, you are not strong enough to be ready for it. For, he says, you are still unspiritual, having the nature of the flesh. Well, I thought he said that they had all the gifts of the Spirit working in them. And he did. So, this book of 1 Corinthians is an interesting book because we find out that even though we have may have the, the gifts of the Spirit working in us, we still have the potential to misuse them or to operate in the flesh. And so the book of Corinthians is kind of a book that is written to a church that tells us as a church how to function in with the gifts of the Spirit in our midst. And the reason I'm, I'm bringing this out tonight is because we're a church that we're going to fulfill the great commission of God. So we're going to expect the gifts of the Spirit to operate in our midst, and they are to a certain degree. We want it more because every time the, a gift of the Spirit operates, it's a supernatural power from heaven invading the natural realm and it produces the, some benefits of the kingdom of God being established. So, in, so now we'll go to uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, I didn't finish that verse. It, it, it just says you're under the control of ordinary impulses. And then he says there's envying, strife, factions among you. Uh, you're behaving yourself like a human standard and like mere unchanged men. And so that is possible, even though the gifts of the Spirit are operating in us. I know um, whenever, I, before I received the baptism in the Spirit, I had gone to uh, my aunt's church, who was a Pentecostal preacher, and... Uh, I didn't understand what was going on in that place. I mean, they were speaking in tongues all over the place. I didn't understand a word of what they were saying. I don't remember a word in English that I even understood. And um, I went away with a bad feeling about it. And so uh, whenever it came time for me to receive the baptism of the Spirit, I didn't want it. But God knew I needed it. And we would not be here, you would not be here in this place today if I had not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that was in 1973. 
down 20 miles south of Perryton, Texas, in a ranch house, in a shorty nightgown, Easter night, in bed. <laughs> That's where I received the baptism of the Spirit. And so uh, I, didn't, you know, I didn't know much about it. I began to learn some things about it. And so, uh, but, but the misuse of a gift almost caused me to be offended and not receive. And so this is the reason that Paul wrote to the Corinthians because he wanted to set in order the gifts of the Spirit, how they operate in a church setting for a purpose. And that's building up the body of Christ or building God's kingdom. And so... Um, Let's just look at the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in uh, verse, verse 4. There is, now there are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operation, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestations of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now those gifts are given to profit. But it's not you necessarily, it's the body of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit benefits you. The gifts of the Spirit are poured out, like Jesus said uh, on that great day of the feast, he said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And he spake of the spirit that had not yet been given. So these rivers are not for you, they're for someone else. These gifts are for someone else. So go ahead with it where we were at. For to one is given by the spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So go back to um, the first gift. In verse, um, is it verse 8? Let's go back to verse 8 and leave it there. Okay, the first is the word of wisdom. I'm just going to go through. I'm just going to give you a thumbnail sketch of these gifts. We don't have time to teach on them. But this, just to remind you, this is the way the Holy Spirit works in a church or in an individual's life to begin to establish the kingdom of God. These are the supernatural powers of the Holy Spirit that works in a person's life. The word of wisdom uh, is the first one that's mentioned, uh, and then the word of knowledge, and then the discerning of spirits. I just want to talk about those three. These are three gifts that reveal something. So the word of wisdom is a word that uh, is a future word. It's like you, God tells you a word about something that's going to happen in the future. Now, I've gotten several words uh, from the words of wisdom, and I got them in dreams. 
I got a, I had a dream once. Um, it was right in the middle of the night. I got up and I heard the voice of the Lord say, tell, and he, I won't mention his name, but it was a young man at the time that we were ministering to about, he had been in drugs and he'd gotten born again. It was really on fire for the Lord. It says, tell him that um, he needs to watch out for offense because the devil is setting a trap for him. Uh, and it's the trap is offense. And he's trying to, to uh, break, take him back into the world. That's basically the word. I gave it to him. He just kind of brushed it off. He got offended. And he went back into the world. But that was a word of wisdom. Because that was something that was going to happen. And then I have to say that for three presidents... I've had dreams. When Obama was running, uh, the, for the second time, I had a dream. I won't tell you the dream, but in the dream, he was in the dream, and when I woke up, I knew he was going to get reelected. I was heartsick. When President Trump was running, I had a dream about President Trump, and I knew he was going to win. The second uh, time he ran for president I knew absolutely for sure that he would win but in a dream I saw Biden and I heard these words I'm sorry and I brushed it off I thought there is no way and now I now look I'm really sorry but that's the way, I mean, those are just words of wisdom. It's something that's going to happen in the future. Words of knowledge are things that are present or in the past. And there's a lot of words of knowledge that we could look at in the, in the Bible. Uh, there's, um, in Second Kings, you know, when, um, I, won't, I won't go into detail, but when uh, Naaman came to Elijah, and he was healed of leprosy, and Gehazi ran after Naaman and told him a lie and got some gold and, and uh, some raiments and stuff. And when he came back, Elijah said, uh, where have you gone? And Gehazi said, nowhere. I ain't gone nowhere. And he said, uh, is this a time to receive garments and gold and silver? My spirit went with you when you went running after Naaman. So that was a word of knowledge. It's, it's a supernatural knowledge that you can't get anywhere else besides God. And that happens. We should have those words of knowledge. I could tell you different times where I had words of knowledge. Uh, I don't know if this was a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, but when pastor was getting ready to hike the Grand Canyon, I knew in my heart that he would never do it. It was just, there was a supernatural knowing that he would never do it. I don't know if that was a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. It was something that would have happened in the future, but it's something that I knew. So uh, it's a supernatural. And then the discerning of spirit. Some people think that's the spirit of discernment. It's not the spirit of discernment. Sometimes the spirit of discernment is a critical spirit. The discerning of spirits is the ability to see into the spirit realm and to see demons or angels. Or like when I received the baptism in the spirit, I saw Jesus. 
That's a, that's a gift of discerning of spirits. Some people have that natural, a lot of, not more often than other people. Our granddaughter, our bonus granddaughter, Angel, she has the ability to see demons and angels. And she's told me many times some things that she has seen. And so there are people that have a tendency to be able to see. That's a gift of the discerning of spirits. I have only seen in it one angel. Um, I have sensed demons, but I've never seen a demon. Um, I saw, I've seen Jesus. So that was a gift of discerning of spirits. Then the gift of faith, the working of miracles, and the gifts of healing. These are the power gifts. These are gifts that do something. So um, the gift of faith is not, it, it's special faith. It's not the regular faith that we know about. And an example is Smith Wigglesworth. Uh, I'll just read you what he wrote. He had gone to visit a friend of his that was very, very ill. And when he got there, he saw that this man had died. He said, but I continued praying and got as far as I could with my own faith. And then God laid hold of me. Oh, it was such a laying hold that I could believe for anything. The faith of the Lord Jesus Christ laid hold of me and a solid peace came into my heart and I shouted, he lives, he lives, and he is living today. So it was, it's a special faith. You come to the end of your faith, God tacks on his faith and supernatural uh, faith produces miracles, which is a miracle is a supernatural intervention by God in the ordinary course of nature. And then the gifts of healing. This is something that goes beyond just the laying on of hands. You know, the Mark uh, 16 says, you lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. That is a promise. But when their gifts of healing are in operation, they're usually instantaneous healings. The gift of healing is uh, a supernatural power given. And the day that, that Marilyn had uh, the demonic attack against her body. Uh, most of you were here. Some of you might not be in, but it was serious. Looked like she was having a stroke, a seizure, heart attack. We didn't know. We laid hands on her. Nothing changed. But she went down to the emergency room. And that afternoon, I went in to pray for her. And when I laid hands on her and started to pray... I felt something surge through my hands twice. And immediately, immediately her symptoms left. Within three minutes, her symptoms left. And today, she, they can't find anything wrong with her. Duh. Because I believe that was a gift of healing. Do I always... Listen, these gifts do not operate only as the Spirit wills. If it was as Margaret wills, I'm going to tell you, everyone would be healed. Everyone would be delivered. I would know everything about everybody and everybody's future. Don't you, aren't you glad that the gifts don't work through me all the time? Or you? It's just, it's just as the Spirit wills. And so... Um, you know, I'm having to hurry through these because I wanted to get to tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. Uh, these are the utterance gifts. Prophecy is, um, it's not foretelling, it's for exhortation 
edification and comfort. And um, Paul begins in 1 Corinthians, he begins to regulate the utterance gifts because this was the problem with the Corinthians. They were, they were just going hog wild with them. They were speak, all of them were just speaking in tongues and they were not operating to edify and build up the church. So there is a protocol in a church setting that we need to be aware of when these gifts operate. Now, I have to say that there are people in our midst that operate in the, the, gifts, the gift of tongues and also in the gift of simple prophecy. And they operate very much according to protocol. What they do, I mean, Teresa does this a lot. She comes up at a certain time when there is, it's either before the preaching or uh, an after praise and worship or even at the end of the service. The Holy Ghost never interrupts himself. And the, the spirit is so, the Spirit is subject to the prophets or the people that prophesy. You don't have, he never, the Holy Spirit never makes you do something. Everything that we do in church ought to be for building up the church. And so, and Amanda, the Sunday that she was, uh, two Sundays ago, she stood, was recognized, came up on stage and gave an exhortation. That's the protocol. When pastor was preaching many times, I would get a word from the Lord during the service. Did I get up and say, oh, 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 choose me, choose me. I got something. I waited until the end, and then I got his attention. He recognized me. I went up and gave the word. Because this is what Paul, let me just, I just jotted down a few things that he talks about in, in regard to the utterance gifts. He said to earnestly desire and cultivate them. He said only use them that the church might be edified. Only use them in ways to build up the church. These are scriptures, but I'm not giving you the, the references. And operate in the church so that visitors don't think we're crazy. I mean, that's what Paul said. He says, if... If you don't do it according to protocol, visitors are going to think you're mad or the, the passion, I mean, the amplified says demented. So <laughs> be aware. There is a protocol. There is a way to do what the Holy Spirit has for you to do that is, is mindful of building up the church. It's mindful of the visitors that may not understand it, and some of that's on my, my uh, watch is, is to explain it so that if there are visitors, they, they understand that it's, this is scriptural. And um, it also says that um, in verse 26, let everything be constructive and edifying and for the good of all. And then it talks about if, if there is no interpreter and you get a tongue, and there's no interpreter, it says then just, just talk to you and God. So what he's saying is keep it in order 
if it's not going to be in order, it's just, just do it between you and God. Don't be a spectacle. You know, make a spectacle of yourself and, and uh, do something out of order and make people question. So he says, if there's not an interpreter, you just talk to yourself and to God. Because speaking in tongues uh, is talking to God, except when it's a gift of the Spirit. When it's a gift of tongues, when Teresa gets up and gives a tongue, and I gave her the interpretation the last time this happened, it was God talking to the church. When it's your prayer language that you received when you received the baptism of the Spirit, that's you talking to God. That's the difference between the gift of tongues and your own prayer language of tongues. Uh, and, uh, the, whatever the Spirit of God does is under the speaker's control. God is not a God of confusion. He's not a God of disorder. But all things, verse 40, all things should be done in regard to decency and propriety and in an orderly fashion. And so everything that we do in Victory Center here by the Spirit of God should be for the purpose of building up God's kingdom, never to build up ourselves or draw attention to ourselves. We're not building our own kingdom. We don't want people to just think that we're spiritual. We are building God's kingdom. And so I want to end uh, tonight with uh, 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Uh, because this is sandwiched right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. So right in the middle, it says, actually the last verse of uh, chapter 12 says, but earnestly desire and zealously cultivate the greatest and best, the highest gifts, and the choicest graces. And yet I will show you a still more excellent way, one that is better by far and the highest of them all, which is love. And so I want to read verses 1, 2, and 3 in uh, chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, that reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as is inspired by God's love for us and in us, I'm only a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Love really is what maturity is all about, not the gifts of the Spirit. We always should mix love with the gifts of the Spirit. And if I have, verse 2, if I have prophetic powers, that is the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose and understand all secret truths and mysteries and possess all knowledge. So he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And I have sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, God's love in me. I am nothing. I am a useless nobody. I just want to throw in this just as an illustration then we're done. Almost. <laughs> I heard of, a, of this illustration. This young man was filling out a form and, and it was in a, a place where they taught faith. And so he was filling out this form and he said, I have, it's, I'm going to be slow because I have dyslexia. And this woman said, don't say that. Why, you're making the wrong confession. And she just got all over him. And uh, he went away saying... Um, I just wanted to punch her in the face. Now, she may, not, she may have had enough faith to move a mountain, but, you know, she hadn't mixed love with it, and she was a no useless nobody to him.
her faith meant nothing to him. So mixing faith. And then uh, the, last, the last verse. Um, Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and if I surrender my body to be burned in order that I may, that I may glory, but have not love, God's love in me, I gain nothing. So, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, we're going to welcome them. We're going to welcome them in our midst. We want the Holy Spirit here. But we want to know how to do what the Holy Spirit wants us to do to build up the church. Because we're building God's kingdom. That's what it's all about. Stand with me. <coughs> so the Bible tells us that we should eagerly pursue the gifts. I say, Lord, how do I get the gifts to work in my life? And he just said, the Bible says to eagerly pursue it. Do you know when compassion fills you for someone? On the wings of compassion, generally the gifts will work. That's what the Lord showed me many years ago. Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed the sick. We as a body here at Victory Center, we're going to build God's kingdom. We're going to build God's kingdom one gift of the Spirit at a time. One healing at a time. One deliverance at a time. One soul saved at a time. We're going to build God's kingdom because we have help. We have supernatural help from on high. Are you ready? Okay. Let's go. Because we're going to see the power of God in Guymon, Oklahoma, in Victory Center Church. Amen. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.